Hey, it's Amalia Dempsey here, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I've noticed one thing that separates those who succeed with their horse in a way where they are both happy and those who constantly struggle and seem to always be having issues with their horse. Every horse training method relies on it. Every person you see doing something fancy with their horse has nailed it. And every time you see a horse and rider together and you think, wow, I want what they have, they've all got one thing in common. They've nailed the fundamentals of horsemanship. I know, I know it's not very exciting because you might think you're past the fundamentals. At least that's what I used to think. After all, you might've been around horses for a long time and you're probably working on more advanced things right now. But until you understand that the advanced things are just the fundamentals done to a high quality, you probably won't succeed consistently in a way where both you and your horse are happy, communicating clearly with each other, confident in various situations, and ultimately sharing that beautiful connection we all want with horses. Those that succeed in this way have nailed the fundamentals of training horses. And those that don't succeed, they don't even know what the fundamentals are. And as a result, they always feel a bit stuck, lost or confused with their training, constantly relying on an instructor to tell them what to do, or they jump from program to program looking for that guru who has all the answers. And trust me, they don't exist. I've already searched high and low. Even when I help people who have done other methods or have tried some groundwork that they've seen on YouTube, they still don't really know what these fundamentals are and why they are doing them and if they are doing them well. If you have no idea how to do these fundamentals to a high level or even what they are, you're missing huge and vital pieces of that 10,000 piece horsemanship jigsaw puzzle. And until you have these fundamental pieces in place, your overall picture with your horse will not look or feel how you want it to. But don't worry if this is you, because I was once there also. I had been around horses for a long time. I was even competing and winning. But you know what? Something was always a bit off. And I knew deep down that I was destined for more in terms of what I wanted my relationship with my horses to be like. Once I personally implemented these fundamentals with my own horses, everything changed. And now because of these fundamentals, I can do more advanced things and I can independently problem solve with confidence in my own decisions. It's why I can quickly assess a horse and rider and work out what the underlying problems might be, because usually one or more of the fundamentals is majorly lacking and the root cause of their horse's unwanted behavior, including things like being distracted or unfocused, tense and spooky horses, pushy horses, and horses that feel like they're they're ignoring you or don't understand you, quote unquote, lazy or unmotivated horses, or more specific things like Horses not wanting to be caught, not standing still for the farrier, not standing still for the mounting block, refusing to go onto the trailer, not accepting their tack easily, and lots of other specific problems. Just imagine how it would feel to be riding bridleless. Spoiler alert, it's the best feeling in the world. Or even just riding bitless, or even with a bit, but with really light cues and having your horse want to be in your presence and really enjoy what you're doing together. Imagine having your horse focus on you and understand your cues completely. Even imagine sharing special moments lying down with your horse. And imagine asking your horse to do something and they actually understand you and want to do it. And even when they don't, you know how to problem solve your way around it in a way that doesn't force yourself or your horse into situations that you both don't like. 
And in case you're thinking, it's not possible for me to achieve these things with my horse, I've already tried everything. I'm not a horsemanship guru who has started thousands of cults and I'm not even a naturally gifted horsewoman or rider. I'm just a regular equestrian girl who just found a better way of doing everything with my horses. And I've done all the research because you guys know that I'm a total horse nerd. I've put thousands of hours of practice in. I've studied different methods. I've made so many mistakes and I've discovered what works and what doesn't for lots of different types of horses and people with different problems. So ultimately, I can guide you to do the same and help you avoid some of the mistakes that I made along the way. Not only have I implemented these fundamentals with my own horses, but I've taught people in person and online all over the world how to really know, understand and implement these fundamentals with their own horses successfully, where they are now achieving their more advanced horse goals. But to begin with, my students, they were making the mistake of skipping the fundamentals and trying to do the fancy stuff first. But once they went back to the fundamentals, they realized what they were missing and doing wrong. Are you trying to do more advanced things with your horse, but it's not working? Does it feel like your horse doesn't understand you? Are you worried you might be doing the wrong thing or messing things up when things don't go to plan? There's one thing separating you between where you are now and where you want to be. And it's these fundamentals and how you are doing them. And I promise when you get these fundamentals under your belt, the road to the advanced things will be much more clear and simple. And that is why I made Horsemanship Fundamentals Academy, or HFA for short, a transformational online learning experience for heart-centered equestrians who want to create the ultimate partnership with their horse, understand and connect with their horse on a deeper level, have light cues on the ground and when riding, build confidence and relaxation in themselves, their horses and various situations and implement the essential foundation for a willing, calm, trusting, and happy equine partner. Everything you need to know about HFA can be found at amaliadempsey.com and click on Academy and you'll be taken to a page with all the information there. I will also put a link to the Academy in the show notes of this episode. Plus, when you go to that page, I actually have a 10-minute workshop on the fundamentals that you can watch right away. Seriously, take what you learn in HFA and run with it. Your life with horses will be changed forever. Some of my members have even said it has literally changed their life. Plus, if you're listening to this in February or March of 2023, right now is the perfect time to join because I'm giving you four live group coaching calls. These are bonus coaching calls um, with me as you progress through HFA. So, I can help you troubleshoot and problem solve all the questions that you might have along the way. These live group coaching calls are not something that's usually included in HFA. So if you're the kind of person who feels like you need more support and accountability as you work through an online course, now is the time to join. I'm doing the calls in March, April, and May. So make sure you jump on board now if you're considering joining and you want that extra support. Just head to AmaliaDempsey.com and click on Academy to find out more and make sure you sign up before March 22nd of 2023 if you want to be included in those live coaching calls with me. It's going to be so much fun to connect with you all. I'm super excited and I really hope to see you inside of HFA. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory 
and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 51 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, how to clearly communicate with your horse so you can have a willing partner, part three of the Horsemanship Fundamentals series. So welcome to this third part of the Horsemanship Fundamentals series. If you're not caught up already, go back and listen to parts one and two, where I talk about connection and confidence. But today is going to be all about communication with your horse, an absolute fundamental of horsemanship. Before I jump in, I want to elaborate again on why the fundamentals are so important. And I'm going to use the analogy of a three-legged table. So as you know, there are three fundamentals of horsemanship or overarching kind of fundamental pillars of horsemanship, connection, confidence, and communication. And you can think about these three things being like three legs of a three-legged table so that if one is off or a little bit wobbly, like, you know, when you go to a restaurant and the table is a little bit wobbly and it's just like so annoying. (laughs) Um, And so you end up jamming like a napkin underneath one of the um, legs of the table to secure it. That's kind of like what your experience is like with your horse when the three fundamentals aren't quite balanced, your experience with your horse just becomes like a little bit wobbly (laughs) until, you know, if you don't address it, then the table topples over completely um, and is no longer able to support you. Hmm, I really like that analogy. I don't know about you, but I just love analogies to help with learning. Um, But the three-legged table analogy really works with the three fundamentals because It is just so true. I have experienced on my own horsemanship journey that whenever I run into a problem, it's usually because one of those three fundamentals is off. And until I address that individual fundamental, the, I'm not going to get to the result that I'm wanting. And it might be subtle, like, you know, a slight wobble. (laughs) It might be that one area is slightly off. And to be honest, you know, they're always ebb ebb and flowing. Like you rarely get the balance absolutely perfect. And a little wobble is easy to kind of navigate. But when it's when that one table leg completely snaps off that things that the the boat is really rocked, so to speak, um, where you really have to go back and address some of those fundamentals. And the thing is the fundamentals, they're not really taught in isolation. They really are all interconnected. And that's why I talk about them being connected in this three-legged table, because when one is off, the others are affected and vice versa. When, you get one area better, the other areas get better also. So for example, when the fundamental of connection is off with my horses, so maybe I've ignored some of their communication or I've overfaced them or I haven't spent time on the relationship, then another problem might come up, like they might not be as responsive to my cues 
so, you know, the communication is lacking or they might be more spooky for no apparent reason because, you know, that, that trust level, the connection is broken and therefore that affects their confidence as well. So they're all kind of interlinked. But when I evaluate the three fundamentals, I can go, ah, okay, well, that kind of makes sense because that leg of the table is a little bit broken at the moment. I need to go back and address that and work on that and get that better um, before I proceed. So just know that the three fundamentals are interconnected and they affect each other. And we're always working on them. The fundamentals are not something that you just pick up and drop off. Uh, like, you know, something to tick off a list, they're, they're always there. You're always working on them. You're kind of always either building them up or you're breaking them down. Um, and that is why I draw the fundamentals you may have seen on my social media or on the Horsemanship Fundamentals workshop on the HFA info page where I draw the fundamentals as three interlinked circles because they're all connected and it's like an ever-changing kind of dynamic. They're all interlinked, they're all connected, and they all affect each other. Okay, let's dive into the third fundamental, all about communication. So I'm going to talk about the definitions of communication. What do I mean by communication with horses? Why communication is so important? When good communication is not in place, what problems appear with your horse and what does it feel like for the rider or the handler? Eight mistakes that I see people making when trying to communicate with their horse and nine tips on how to communicate clearly with your horse. So let's dive in starting with the definitions. So the Google definition of communication is the imparting or exchanging of information by speaking, writing, or using some other medium. So obviously with horses, we can't really speak or write with to them in the same way that we would converse with another human. Although I will talk about speaking or communicating with your horse, but we are using the universal language of body language and energy, as well as the cues that we have taught them um, so I'll get a little bit more into that later, but I wanted to kind of define my own definition of communication with horses, which is communication is how we interact with and influence horses and how we interpret their thoughts and feelings. So their potential communication with us, it's an exchange of information through innate or trained body language cues. So it really is a two-way street, this communication. So often we think about when we communicate with our horses, we're thinking about what the horse can do for us, how the horse responds or reacts to us. But the way I see it is it's a two-way street. It is, yes, those things, but also how we respond and react to the horse's communication also. I talk about the horses communicating with us through their body language. Who knows if it's intentional? I don't want to um, kind of be pulled up on anthropomorphizing too much, but you know, I, I will say things like, oh, the horse is doing this. That could mean that they're trying to tell us this. And it's not that I'm thinking that the horses speak in English or whatever. It's just that um, it's, I think it really helps to think about interpreting the horse's body language as communication so that then we can respond most appropriately. My ideal picture of communication between horse and rider 
is like I've just said, it is a two-way communication. The horses are noticing us and responding to us, but we are also noticing the horse, how they're potentially feeling, what they might be thinking and how they're portraying that through their body language and their energy so that um, it really can be a conversation between us rather than just like a dictatorship relationship. My ideal picture of communication between horse and rider is cues that are as light and fair as possible. So full disclaimer, my personal approach to training horses is combined reinforcement. I use pressure, release and reward. I'm not extreme in my views either way. Like, you know, you you have your purely positive reinforcement trainers who I largely respect and think they do a fantastic job. And then you have your pure negative reinforcement trainers. Again, when done well, I think they also do a fantastic job. I kind of sit in the middle. (laughs) I use the best of both worlds. Um, and I like to adapt to the individual horse in front of me. Also, I don't think pressure is evil. Um, I equally don't think we're bribing horses with treats. Like I can see all arguments and all angles. And earlier on in the podcast, I used to ask people, guests of the podcast, you know, what are your thoughts on positive versus negative reinforcement? And I now no longer really see it as a versus this or that, or what's better. Um, I think it really comes down again to the individual horse and human partnership and how those techniques are applied. So my ideal picture of communication is using cues that are as light and fair as possible, um, no matter how they have been trained. So, you know, we've all seen it. We've all seen those riders who are like, you watch them and you just think they're not even doing anything. How are they actually asking the horse to do that? It looks invisible. Um, And especially when there is less gear used, I have to say, like I I think this, um, I think those thoughts the most when I watch people, you know, ride bridleless or play at liberty, I feel like that is really the epitome of or the peak of the pinnacle of um, clear communication because you can be really subtle with your communication with gear because, you know, let's say you've got a harsh bit on, just a very small movement is going to be felt in a big way for the horse. So yes, it looks subtle, but is it really subtle? Um, So yeah, I think it's really impressive when people can really refine their communication in those contexts where there's very minimal gear used. My ideal picture of communication also is that the horse is not a robot. I do think you can train the horse. You certainly, it's absolutely achievable to train the horse in a way where they will respond to you like 99% of the time and they're very predictable responses. Don't get me wrong. We need to have a certain level of quote unquote obedience, like for safety reasons and boundaries and whatnot. But I still think that we need to respect and honor the horse's own experience and allow them or adapt our training to help them have more fun in their training. And I want to say like have a say in their training so that they feel like, again, they're a part of the conversation rather than things are just always being done to them, so to speak. My ideal picture of communication with horses is also one that moves further along than just piloting or managing a situation. So I say piloting 
because that's really um, like, you know, when you're just sort of directing movement when you're riding a horse, like controlling the situation. I'd love to see more horses and rider combinations move beyond just this control and like manipulation of movement um, and move more to a dynamic where the horse truly understands their role and your cues and the aids because I think it's a much more peaceful and enjoyable experience for the horse when they're not just being kind of micromanaged but they're really a thinking being in the process Uh, and it is a very different feeling riding a horse where you're managing micromanaging versus where you're both connected and kind of having this conversation and moving in harmony together my ideal picture of communication also includes a much broader language I want to say of communication on the ground especially in equestrian disciplines I feel that in general the western kind of community have embraced groundwork um, a lot more than the equestrian community like English equestrian disciplines but I feel like it is slowly filtering in Um, but I would love to see people be able to communicate more clearly with their horse again without micromanaging like something as simple as leading like leading your horse most horses performance horses don't actually even lead that well and this is something that we do on a very like on a daily basis Um, and I think if horses had a lot more clarity around those everyday things their lives would be so much less stressful because they just have, they'll have more clarity. I I say to people like clarity creates calmness. Think about in your own life when you're uncertain about something, how distressing that is. But if you really know, you know, what the deal is, how things work, exactly what to do. It's just like, it's, it feels, it's, it's comfortable. (laughs) So yeah, that is my picture, my ideal picture of communication between horse and rider. Went on a little bit of a tangent as always, but let's move on to why communication between horses and humans is so important. So the first point is that it's for safety. We absolutely need to have clear communication in place on the ground and in the saddle for safety reasons. On the note of safety as well, I think clear communication with horses on the ground really helps to set up those safe boundaries because um, we need to have this awareness established between the horse and the human because humans, horses don't know that humans are breakable, right? They don't know that we're so fragile compared to them. So even if the horse's intentions are like playful or whatever, or if they're just scared and they think that they want to be close to you, we have to show them that that's actually not okay. Like I'm going to get hurt if you do that. So, you know, you need communication and backing up out of your space. Can you back a horse to the end of a 12 foot lead rope and have them stay at that distance consistently and reliably? Because if you can't, then it tells me you probably don't have a very strong boundary. And can you establish these boundaries without moving your feet? Can you keep your feet still and have your horse out of your space um, to, to help establish that boundary? I do remember early on in uh, my horsemanship journey, uh, I, I felt really vulnerable at one point because I had a horse who would like rear very close to me and it felt like I was kind of underneath them. Um, and 
It only felt scary to me because I didn't have the skills on how to keep her away. So if, if I had those skills to maintain my own personal boundary, I wouldn't have felt scared. This goes back to what I was talking about in the confidence, in the writer confidence section of the previous podcast in part two. I was saying how like once you have those that skills and knowledge established, you have more confidence because you know how to deal with the situation. As soon as I learned how to back her up out of my space and maintain a safe boundary, I was no longer scared when she reared because it was way away from me if she were to ever do it. Um, so yeah, it is, I think that just highlights the importance of communication for safety, for safety reasons. The next reason is for practicality reasons. So it is so refreshing to be able to communicate with my horses from a distance and up close when asking them to move in various positions. Um, it's just very practical. It's very practical for, you know, veterinary procedures or when the farrier's here or whenever I need to get them to do something for practical reasons, I have that communication in place where I can help them understand what it is that we're actually trying to do. Um, One example I can think of is I had x-rays done on one of my horses at the vet um, last year and of her hooves and, um, I had to, the horse had to stand on these like platforms and they held these screens around their legs and it was quite an intricate and finicky process. And I was just like, oh, um, you know, she was, she was fine. She put her um, feet up. She stood still. It was, we got, we got it done. And um, with very uh, subtle communication, Uh, like I didn't have to manhandle her into position or anything like that. And I said, oh, just out of curiosity, how does everyone else go with this um, procedure? And they're like, oh, we normally, (laughs) we normally sedate for this. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Because I'm guessing a lot of horses would just kind of move around and not really understand what it is that they're supposed to do. But I suppose I'd done a bit of pedestal training and could have communication around stand still, wait, can you move your hoof here? Can you move your hoof there? Um, And could also distract her with other tricks like smiling and things like that to help her stay focused on me during the process of them taking the x-rays. So that helped helped keep her really stationary. Um, So yeah, just for practicality reasons, it's great to have that communication in place. And knowing what I know now in terms of the ability to communicate with a horse on the ground and in the saddle, there's absolutely no way I could go back to just micromanaging and just getting stuff done because it's like, imagine only talking to someone using a quarter of the vo- of the English vocabulary that you currently have. Like it would be so limited. Like imagine speaking to someone, you know, when you speak to someone who's English is not their first language and it's quite um, like they're not very good at speaking English or whatever is your primary language. You just feel like you can't have that deeper conversation because you're only using simple words. <laughs> but once, but if you do speak the same language, you can have a much deeper conversation. I'm also talking about people who, you know, they might go to, I've heard that when you go to France, if you don't speak the language it's really hard to communicate and talk to people. And also the French don't like it. Apparently that's just what I've heard. Um, but yeah, what I'm saying is when you have more vocabulary, so you have more cues, you've trained more things with your horses, you can have a much more, 
um, deeper and meaningful conversation with them because there's, there's more ways in which you can communicate with them. And the next reason why communication is so important is for performance. Again, this surprises me that not more performance riders embrace groundwork and really teaching their horses like quality responses to pressure release, which let's be honest, is what most of the equestrian world use when it comes to competition. Just imagine if your horse was like super light on pressure release cues oh my gosh, like your dressage is going to be so much better. Your jumping is going to be so much better. You can teach a horse to seek the jump where they are drawn into the jump. For my jumpers out there, you know the feeling when you've ridden a horse who is like sucked into the jump. It is the best feeling versus a horse who you're like, I feel like the handbrake is on a few strides out to the jump. And it's just, it's like, who knows whether we're going to make make it over. Like that is not a nice feeling. You can actually teach your horse to love jumping on the ground. Um, but it starts with developing that communication on the ground first. Performance as well. We know that the goal is harmony, it's lightness, all those things that we're being judged for, especially in dressage. Um, you can teach your horse to be light in response to cues on the ground first. And this translates to riding. They are very much interconnected. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle to see the connection between groundwork and riding. And, you know, some people even say like, why would you do groundwork when you can just hop on? And it's like, oh, you're really missing the point. Groundwork elevates your riding experience. Um, it's just like I have taught, for example, I've taught my horses to do lateral work. So shoulder in, travers um romber half pass walk pirouettes and leg yield on the ground oh my gosh so much easier to teach them that on the ground first and then when I'm in the saddle because they have that motor pattern that muscle memory and like literally already built up muscle to be able to maintain those positions it was just so much easier (laughs) to find that instead of like wrestling or like having to do thousands and thousands of repetitions till finally you get somewhat of a shoulder in it's just so much more clear for the horse for the rider um I can't stress it enough you guys probably know three of my favorite riders in the world Anya Baron, Karen Rolf and Ingrid Klimke Ingrid Ingrid is probably the more traditional out of all of them um and even Ingrid does groundwork with her young horses in a rope halter. She also rides bridleless. So the best in the world know this, guys. So at some point, I think everyone's going to be doing it and wondering why we didn't start it sooner. So anyway, communication, clear communication, obviously helps improve your performance also. And I also uh, mentioned that communication, improving your communication with your horse helps you to have a more meaningful interaction because you have a larger vocabulary to work from. Um, it feels, it, I've mentioned it before as well on another podcast, but it's a very different feeling when you communicate, when you're connecting and communicating with a horse who understands that level of communication, who's had that foundation versus one who hasn't like it's 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 the feeling of you know when you're talking to someone and they're on their phone like they're kind of just not interested and they're just they're hearing your words but they're not really absorbing it that's what it feels like when you play with a horse or ride a horse who hasn't had that really meaningful deep 
communication and connection with a human versus one who's like you're speaking to someone eye to eye contact like you're completely absorbed in each other's conversation communication and like the time just flies because you're just enjoying each other's company so yeah it's a very different feeling when you're communicating with and connecting with a horse who has that broader vocabulary of communication versus one who is like purely for performance everything's very mechanical and whatnot but anyway moving on let's go on to um when communication isn't in place when good communication is not in place what problems appear and what does it feel like for the rider so I kind of already just explained that a little bit with the whole mechanical feeling. Um, but pretty much every problem behavior you can think of could be a result of poor communication between horse and rider. So horses who are pushy, they won't pick up their feet. They won't stand still at the mounting block or for the farrier. They bolt, they bite, they don't go forward. Um, they're arena sour, barn sour. They won't go on the float, etc. Um, of course, there are other reasons why they might not be doing those things or, or doing those things. Um, but one of the major reasons is because your communication might not be clear enough or you haven't trained that behavior appropriately. So therefore not communicated it in a way they can understand um, for them to know what to do in those situations. So whenever you ask, are asking your horse to do something and they're not doing it, ask yourselves, Ask yourself this, have I actually trained that? Because even if the horse has done it before with another trainer or, um, you know, they're an experienced horse or whatever, think to yourself, have you actually trained that behavior? Because behaviors aren't always just like trained once and they're established for life. Sometimes you need to go back and do a refresher, just like us when we learn something. Like think about the language that you learned in school. Can you remember everything that you learn <laughs> and if you were to sit a test in that language now could you pass it probably not you'd need to do a little refresher I probably wouldn't even pass my year 12 um, maths test now <laughs> I would definitely need to do a refresher um, in order to to remember so horses are the same um, especially if it's something that they haven't done recently Let's use an example of this. Okay, so I like using riding examples because not everyone is on the same page with groundwork, but the riding examples, most people um, can kind of get their head around. So let's think about a leg yield. Let's say you are riding your horse down the center line and you want to leg yield to the outside track. You put your leg on and the horse does nothing. They just continue sort of straight, maybe a bit wobbly, Maybe they drift a little bit, but it's not really a leg yield. Versus, you don't even put your leg on. <laughs> you shift your weight slightly to the to the track that to the direction that you want to go in, and your horse just whooshes on over to the track lightly, straight, and knows a hundred percent that when you apply that cue, the goal is to cross their legs over to the outside track, um, and then you'll recenter yourself in the saddle. So they're two very different outcomes. So if you were to um, ask for the leg guild and you don't get a response or the response you were hoping for, just stop and think about what is the most basic cue here? 
What is the cue? What is the pressure? What is the release? What is the reward? And how can I break this down into an easier to achieve task so that the horse can be successful and then I can gradually make it a more difficult challenge for them? Um, but I need to know that they can respond to a light cue in the most easy circumstances before I make it difficult. So when you're at the halt and you shift your seat, like your cue, and, and if you apply your leg, if you need to, which is your pressure and your horse doesn't move over, you need to start there and work on that, work on your horse's understanding of the application of your cue and your pressure to, to know what response it is that you're looking for um, before you can try and walk, trot, etc. So um, again, a little tangent, I'm probably going to go into that's, that process is um, linked to shaping, which I'll go into later. But yeah, you really want to think, have I actually trained this? Because don't go blaming your horse or the environment or whatever else if you haven't taken responsibility to actually clearly communicate what it is you'd like your horse to do in that moment. When good communication isn't in place, it can feel like um, your horse doesn't understand you. It feels like you're doing all the right things. It feels like they just don't even see you or feel you or they're ignoring you. And usually, again, that's because you haven't taught them the answer. It can also feel like your horse is kind of dull or lifeless or they give you that mechanical feeling or they're just not interested in the work because again the communication is too unclear so they're like why would I pay attention when I can't figure it out it's just too confusing for me so they sort of block things out a little bit next up I'm going to talk about eight mistakes that I see people making when trying to communicate with their horse and by the way every single mistake that I list I am guilty of in my own horsemanship journey but before we do that we're just going to go to a quick break my name is Marian. I'm from Roanoke, Virginia in the US, and I came across Amalia while I was researching ways of communicating and partnering with young or damaged or um, otherwise jumpy horses. And I absolutely loved the tools I learned. Um, I have been around horses all my life but it was a sort of traditional show, show him who's boss, sort of cowboy horsemanship. And Amalia and her cues and her tools and her mindset really helped me shift over to a much more productive, consistent conversation with my horses. And I have had some great results with young horses. I've had great results with um, traumatized horses and I love the partnership that I'm able to develop quite quickly because HFA gave me sort of a universal language and etiquette that applies to every horse I meet. Um, I'm bringing a whole different attitude toward my encounters with every horse, and that makes all the difference. And I would recommend Amalia to anybody, uh, no matter how long you've been in horsemanship. Okay, welcome back. Let's talk about the eight mistakes that I see people making when trying to communicate with their horse. And again, every single mistake that I talk about, I am guilty of to some extent in my own horsemanship journey. But I want to just mention that 
a really wise horse person once told me this. She said that if you're ever stuck with your horse and you don't know what to do, just think, how could you really mess this up? Like, how could you make this way worse than it's already going? And then just do the opposite, right? So it's sometimes it's easier to think like how to mess things up more um, and it's harder to think about what to actually do. So yeah, just think about how you could mess it up and then do the opposite. So when I list out these eight mistakes, I want you to think about what the actual opposite of these things are. I probably will tell you anyway. Um, but yeah, just to get in your mind, instead of just always thinking about the wrong thing to do, think about flipping that, reversing it, creating an opposite. And that's usually what you could be doing instead to make your communication more clear. So the first mistake is not thinking like a horse or thinking from the horse's perspective. When we think about training horses, we need to think about what motivates them because what motivates them will shape their behavior. So horses are motivated by, and those of you who have done the free connection and communication mini course will know this because I have a whole video on what motivates horses and how horses learn. So if you want to find out more about that, take a look at the free mini course. Safety is the number one thing that motivates horses. Comfort, food, and social interaction or play or um, sexual drive as well. So the number one thing is safety. So if a horse feels threatened, actually, you know what? I'm not going to go into all of those details because that'll send me on another tangent and you can literally watch the video that I've already done on that. Um, So yeah, understanding what actually motivates horses and how you can use those motives in your training to get the response that you're after. When you break it down, it's actually really quite simple. And there's a thing called the four quadrants. And if you don't know even what they are or how they apply to animal training or horse training, you need to know it. It's an absolute fundamental for every single horse owner to know. If you are a horse owner or rider, you are a horse trainer because horses are always learning. So you need to be thinking in any situation where you're training your horse, what is actually in it for my horse? Why would my horse want to do this? Because if the answer is not clear, you're not understanding how you're actually communicating and training your horse um, to respond to your individual cues. Number two is starting with pressure that is too high. We all know a fly can hear, not hear, feel a fly. Okay, so let me start that again. We all know that a horse can feel a fly on their body. We've all seen it like that Twitch reflex is probably a proper name for it, but where their coat kind of shivers to get the fly off, they can feel a fly. So why do we need these really strong bits, really big spurs, like or really strong pressure to communicate with the horse? I'm not saying that we never need those things. I'm not saying that we never use high pressure with our horses um, because sometimes it's necessary. However, we don't start there. We always need to be starting with the lightest possible pressure or cue, ideally cue without pressure, some kind of cue that says the pressure is coming so that then they learn to to respond to the cue and avoid the pressure completely. And pressure, it's such a shame that both negative reinforcement and pressure 
have such a bad kind of vibe from those words because I don't really see pressure as a bad thing. It's just communication. It's just clarity. Of course, it depends on how it's used. It depends on the attitude and application. But um, yeah, I sometimes, and I've certainly considered on my own journey, moving to like pure R plus positive reinforcement training. But to be honest, I really love working with pressure and tactile cues. And um, I know they're different things, um, but it feels very organic to me. It feels um, like I can really help the horse find the answer through pressure, even if it's really light pressure. So anyway, I'll go on a pressure tangent. (laughs) But um, the second mistake I see is people starting with pressure that is too high. So they're like constantly yelling at their horse um, or they're starting off with yelling rather than starting with an absolute whisper, a really polite whisper. And the, the quieter your communication is to begin with, the deeper your communication becomes and the more focused your horse becomes because they're looking for those small cues. So yesterday I was working on some weight shifts with my horses where I'm just shifting their weight forwards and back and side to side without touching them um, and they're standing still. So you can imagine how great that would be for their body. But I realized that our focus bubble, you may have heard me talk about the focus bubble before, where um, you and your horse become so focused on each other that the bubble of focus is like really tight around you. If you can imagine like an invisible bubble around you. Um, But like it felt like the focus bubble was so tight around us. We were so focused on each other. It was such a great feeling. Honestly, it was a moment of flow where time just stops and it just felt like we're in this vortex and it just felt beautiful as well because we were moving together. Um, How did I get onto that? Because (laughs) the cues were so light. We weren't even touching each other and yet we were both fluidly moving like a school of fish, shifting our weight back and forth, left and right together. It was just a beautiful moment. So your communication can be so light but it will never be light unless you start with lightness the third mistake is using constant pressure with no clear release or reward I unfortunately see this a lot in the sport of dressage because it is there's a lot going on you know there's a lot that we're being judged on there's a lot of preparation and and movements and adjustments that need to be made. Um, But if we're not careful, it can become just constant pressure, like white noise to the horse. Only the white noise is somewhat uncomfortable, so they have to learn to block it out, which none of us want. We want our horses to recognize our aids and respond to them, but they won't if it's constant pressure. Right, And then we have to use even heavier aids to get a response because it has to be contrasting to what the constant norm is. So I say start like when you're like see if you can ride in a way where you're mostly not asking them to do anything so that when you do ask them to do something, it's very clear. Oh, she's asking for something now rather than just like constantly micromanaging, constantly keeping your spur on. Um, constantly keeping your leg on. And unfortunately, this is a part of the equestrian culture also. You know, there's memes about it. Um, I didn't I didn't hear what my trainer said, um, so I just assumed it was more leg. 
And it's like, I get it. It's just a joke. And I laugh at those things too, but it's still kind of sad because it's like, ah, you're really missing the point. Like if we just keep putting more leg on the horse is just eventually going to block it out anyway. So the, um, fourth mistake I see people making when they're trying to communicate with their horse is making big leaps in their training instead of what's called approximations or shaping. So there's some an, a, a equine learning theory for you, but um, approximations, so they're just like, it's very, very small steps. I just Googled the definition of approximation and it is a thing that is similar to something else, but it's not exactly the same. And in relation to um, animal learning theory, a successive approximation is an inducive training procedure in which animals are taught new behaviors by rewarding responses that are progressively more and more like the desired target response. Okay, so a bit of a wordy definition there, but basically um, it's one of like literally small steps micro successes, 1% improvement. So think about the tasks that you want to be able to do with your horse and break it down into really, really small steps. This is actually something I kind of learned on my, well, in my physio training, because I would have a patient in front of me who literally could not walk because of their sprained ankle, sprained ankle, say, and their goal was to be able to, you know, run 10 kilometers nonstop. How was I going to bridge the gap between those two things? Now, I wasn't training the patient as such. I was rehabilitating um, their injury. However, the same kind of uh, structure applies in that I had to make really little tiny adjustments all the way along until that person is running 10 kilometers successfully pain-free. I couldn't just go, okay, well, yeah, it's been sprained for a week. Let's give a 5K run and go see how you go. Like, no, that was not going to be successful. And yet I see this happen in horse training all the time. The horse is just broken in on the saddle. Let's just see how he goes at a show and just see what happens. Don't get me wrong. People can do that and somehow get away with it. I've probably done that before, but um, I now know that it's much better for the horse's experience, for their fundamentals, for their confidence, for their connection, for their communication, and for their, the longevity of their career, for their stress levels, for their health, for everything, if we just take small wins, we use shaping, we, we look for um, small steps to get to where we want to be rather than just jumping into the deep end and just seeing what happens. So a groundwork example of this is let's say that you want to be able to back your horse up 10 steps with a really light cue. Well, if you can't do one step, you're not going to be able to do 10. So first of all, you would be rewarding, releasing and rewarding on just one step. And then you would gradually increase the number of steps over a number of training sessions um, so that your horse understands that you're after continuous steps. Then you might change your criteria and want bigger steps or more energetic steps, or you would like their body to be in a certain um, frame or shape when they go backwards. Um, so there's all these things that you can start to think about rewarding, but it has to start with the most simplest form. So that is one of the mis big mistakes that I see people making is just doing these big leaps, going straight for the end result 
and not thinking about how they can, how they can break it down and have small wins, um, break it down into small steps so the horse can feel successful and clear about the communication throughout their whole learning kind of process. The fifth mistake is not being aware of what type of reinforcement they are using. So um, again, I, before I said the four quadrants, if you don't know what those are, you need to like run to the computer and look them up <laughs> and learn them. It's really important, I think, for people to know. I do cover it in HFA as well. Um, so you you need to understand why what you're doing is working or not working in terms of operant conditioning, which are the four quadrants, the different types of reinforcement that we are using with a horse to motivate responses and train behaviors. So if you don't even know what type of reinforcement that you're using, this is a big mistake because if you don't know the reason behind why you're doing what you're doing, then why why are you doing it? You need to understand um, this process of training. It's going to be so much more clear for you and the horse when you have an understanding of that. Number six is thinking that the communication is good enough um, only for it to fall apart under pressure. So this is, I've spoken about this before, where I feel like people just kind of tick off groundwork tasks. Like, yep, I've done a bit of groundwork now, moving on. And then, of course, the groundwork doesn't really work in a situation where they need it because it's it hasn't been practiced to a high enough or a good enough level for it to be reliable. Um, and when your horse is under a more stressful situation, in a more stressful situation, your communication will drop off a little bit. It won't be as clear as what it is when all the conditions are perfect. So when the conditions are perfect, get that get your communication your groundwork even better get your cues even lighter so that when you are in a situation where you need to rely on it it works to to a kind of a good extent it won't be as good as when the conditions are perfect but at least it will work number 7 is overfacing your horse so when your horse is in a stressful state an anxious state um they're scared about something your not going to be able to train communication effectively because your horse is not in a frame of mind. They're not in a learning frame of mind. So that's a mistake because I see people trying to teach their horse new things when the horse is just thinking about their survival and their safety in that, in that moment, they're not going to retain information. It's like if I was trying to teach you something new, but you know, there was, um, someone trying to break into the house at the same time I was trying to teach you something. And I was like, Hey, focus on me. Like we've got to learn this thing. And you're like, yeah, but I'm worried we're going to die. Like there's somebody out there. So yeah, when you're trying to teach your horse something new, but they're stressed and anxious, like it's just not a priority for them and nor should it be a priority for you in those moments where your horse is worried, your priority is not to continue with teaching them the thing It is to help them return to a relaxed, calm, confident state so that then they are in a learning frame of mind. And the eighth and final mistake that I see people making when they're trying to communicate with their horse is not considering other causes as to why the communication isn't working. So you've probably heard me say before that I believe that there are no naughty horses, right? Only horses who are frustrated, confused, fearful, or in pain. 
So the confused category is usually where the communication isn't working well or isn't being trained well. Um, Same with the frustration, but that can also be things like they're frustrated that they're not getting the release or the reward on time um, or they're overly stressed about the situation. Um, Fearful can be that they're worried. Again, we just touched on that pain or or levels of discomfort that um, they can't escape can also be a reason why they're not doing the thing that you're asking them uh, the thing that they are that you're asking them to do it could of course also be things like poor saddle fit poor nutrition Um, it could be that the bit's not fitting properly. It could be the surface that you're on. It could be, uh, that the, they've got ulcers. It could be a musculoskeletal problem. Like there are many other reasons that aren't just behavioral or training related as to why your horse isn't doing the thing that you're asking them to do. So it's important to consider those things as well. So they are the eight mistakes that I see people making when trying to communicate with their horse. And now I'm going to go over the nine tips on how to communicate clearly with your horse. Now, I feel like I have given you a bit of an insight um, as to what the opposite of the mistakes are. So I'm just going to briefly um, run through these nine things. So just touch on them. I'm not going to dive deep because, um, yeah, I feel like I've already mentioned a lot of them already. Okay, so number one is understand how horses learn and basic equine learning theory. Um, which I mentioned was one of the mistakes before. Number two is have a sequence of application of aids. So in the free connection and communication mini course, as well as HFA, I talk about the CPRR acronym, which helps you sequence your aids and your communication and your application of training a cue in a way where your horse can understand and you can follow a sequence. So making sure that there is a sequence to the way that you are applying your cues, pressure, release, reward, etc. Number three is stop when the communication is not working and break it down into smaller steps. So I used the leg yield example earlier. Make sure that you are uh, recognizing when things aren't working and just stopping and making a plan as to how you can break it down and help your horse be successful um, in understanding your communication. Number four is learn to understand your horse's subtle communication. So um, learn how to interpret their body language to the best of your ability, like ear flicks, tail swishes, body positioning, head positioning, etc. Like you don't need to overly obsess over this, but learn what these body language cues might mean and um, be in tune with the overall feel that the horse is giving you so that you can better Uh, read your horse and then respond appropriately. Number five is shaping, shaping, shaping. So (laughs) small steps, small wins, 1% progress, break things down into small steps. Your communication is going to be so much more clear when you can break things down. Number six is when you need to be firm, don't be mean. And when you are light, don't be wishy-washy or like a pushover, so to speak. It's a real balancing act. Um, and when you are using, if you have issues using, um, more firm pressure with your horse, change, try and change your perspective from being, uh, like when you're being firm, think about yourself being clear rather than being mean. Cause if you use firm pressure, but you feel guilty or sorry about it, um, a, it's probably not the right training method for you. 
or you are using too much pressure (laughs) or you're viewing it from a lens of I'm hurting my horse and nine times out of the ten nine times out of ten if you're feeling this (laughs) and um yeah you're usually your horse is not actually that bothered by the pressure they've just learned to kind of ignore or push through the pressure because they're like oh she isn't like her intention is not matching the level of pressure that she's using. So it's kind of confusing. Um, So yeah, change your perspective from being clear instead of being like mean about the pressure. Um, I found that this has helped a lot of people with um, being more effective with their application of pressure and uh, make sure that you feel really positive and, and, and good about it rather than thinking like you're hurting your horse and you'll know if you've used too much pressure because the horse will lose confidence. The horse will be fearful of your aid um, or your pressure or your cue, whatever. Um, The horse will be fearful of you after you've applied that pressure because it was too much. You've broken their confidence. But if afterwards they're just like, yeah, whatever, like they don't seem phased, then you probably didn't use too much pressure. Number seven is develop good body awareness, both in the saddle and on the ground. So uh, you can be aware of when you might accidentally be communicating with the horse. So we spoke about previously in the mistakes of using like constant pressure um, when there's no clear release. If you don't have good body control of yourself, in the saddle and on the ground, it's going to be way more confusing for the horse because they don't know when you're asking something and when you're when it's just meaningless. So really developing that good body awareness really helps your clear communication with the horse. If you're stuck on how to develop good body awareness, that is what my eight-week rider-specific exercise program is made for. So if you feel like you need more help specifically in the saddle when riding to be more quiet and still and have more effective and invisible aids, then maybe check out that program as well. So in the saddle, we need independent hands, legs, seat, etc. You've probably heard that. And on the ground, I like to talk about not only having this body awareness, but being aware of when your feet are moving and when they're still. So many times when I'm teaching people who are new to horsemanship, they're not even aware of what their feet are doing. <laughs> their feet are just going all over the place. Um, and so for certain exercises, I talk about having concrete feet. So you need to be able to have awareness of of keeping your feet completely still uh, before you can start to move them with awareness about where they're going. So with concrete feet, I think about having concrete pillars out of the bottom of my feet so I'm anchored into the ground. And this helps to create this awareness of your space and helps you make more deliberate movements when you are moving. So number seven is develop good body awareness, both in the saddle and on the ground. Number eight is have a framework of tasks to teach your horse. You can't communicate with your horse unless you know what you're trying to communicate. This is very much applied in other animal training kind of circles like dog training. There's dog obedience schools, you know, or um, puppy classes like Everyone knows to teach their horse to sit, stay, lead, etc. Sorry, everyone knows to teach their dog to sit, stay, lead, etc. But when it comes to our horses, we kind of just expect them to know it. 
Um, like, okay, so let's say you got a new dog and they didn't know how to sit properly. You probably want to teach them that, right? But when we get a new horse and they don't lead properly, we just sort of go, oh, he doesn't lead well. And it's like, actually, you can train him to lead better. Um, so in modules specifically four and five of HFA, I teach you a series of groundwork maneuvers that everyone should know how to do with their horse to communicate clearly with them. And these are like the prerequisite groundwork exercises that you really need to know in order to build onto more advanced things. Um, and I do this, I teach you how to communicate and how to establish these groundwork maneuvers through two forms of communication. The first is through light touch, um, which is any physical contact with the horse, uh, however light or firm that might, might be, and through whichever medium. So whenever you are physically touching your horse or applying some kind of pressure to the halter or to the rein, or whenever there is a physical presence on that horse's skin, they can feel you are requesting some kind of movement from light touch. The goal is for these cues to be as light as possible on the ground and riding. The other way I like to communicate to horses is through subtle body language at a distance. So if you are wanting to communicate with your horse when you're not physically able to touch them, so for example, at liberty, or if you're leading them at a distance, or if you want to send them over a jump or send them into a float, um, you need to establish some cues that work at a distance for in order to be successful. Um, this is also applicable to if you're lunging or circling your horse, because yes, you might have a rein attached, but Think about how cool it would be if you're lunging your horse and you could apply a cue that asks the horse to step their inside hind leg under a little bit more or to move their shoulder out a little bit more or to slow down without having to use a large amount of pressure to get them to stop or go, etc. So these two ways of communicating through light touch and through our own subtle body language at a distance are absolutely fundamental in terms of communication. And again, I have a module of each of those things and how you can do them with various groundwork tasks in modules four and five of HFA. So the ninth tip on how to communicate clearly with your horse is to master and constantly revisit your basic communication. And that is because all the advanced things are just the fundamentals or the basics done to a high level. In module eight of HFA, I go over what I call basic body control when you're riding. And this goes, this is like way before, you know, what, you know, inside leg to outside rein and um, bend on a circle and 20 meter circles, diagonals and leg yields and those like preliminary kind of dressage exercises. This goes way before that. And it's often missed. So basic body control things. So your horse has complete understanding, therefore really clear communication about each of the aids that you apply at the halt so that when you bring that to the faster gates, they have so much more clarity and therefore so much more lightness around exactly what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And you can develop this following of your focus so it feels like the horse is well it feels like you're both riding in more harmony because you're going together rather than constantly having to kind of manipulate the horse where you want them to go 
So I will still to this day, even though I can ride my horses bridleless um, and we're working on more advanced kind of things now, I will still check that basic body communication, especially when things aren't working, because I want to know, like, is the horse confused about something? Is there a basic body communication aid cue that is not working? Because if so, I really need to address that before I continue on. And I say master and constantly revisit your basic communication because I I think this is, it's never, it's never ending. You never really go, yep, I'm done with the basics now, moving on. Um, they're always going to be there. You're just taking them with you to a higher level. I hope that kind of makes sense, but um, ask anyone who's at the top of their field, whether it's with horses in a specific discipline or it's another industry, and they will tell you that the basics are the most important thing to master and get really good at. So um, that kind of concludes the nine tips on how to communicate clearly and also concludes the um, this three-part series on horsemanship fundamentals with this one being all about communication. I really hope that you have gained a lot from this series and if I can just plant a seed, shift a perspective or change a belief in just one person listening to this podcast, then I know that I've made a difference in yours and hopefully horses' lives as well. And remember, if you want to dive deeper into these fundamentals, you've been listening to this three-part series and you're going, yes, this is actually making a lot of sense, but I'm also feeling like I am perhaps lacking some of these fundamentals or I'm not sure how to improve the level of my fundamentals, then HFA is absolutely made for you and I would love to have you join us inside. You can find out everything you need to know and sign up at AmaliaDempsey.com and click on Academy. And remember, when you sign up before March 22nd, 2023, we will be doing four bonus live group coaching calls together starting at the end of March and ending up in May so that I can best support you on your HFA journey. Remember, this is not a normal part of HFA. It's a limited time bonus. So if you're the sort of person who likes to have a little bit of extra support when you go through a program like this, then definitely now is the best time to join. And I'm really excited to meet you all and hear about your horsemanship journeys so far and help you progress through HFA so you can get the most results out of the academy. So hope to see you in HFA, but otherwise I'll catch you in the next episode. Hey everyone, Amalia again. And before we wrap up today's episode, I want you to take a moment to imagine this scenario. Your horse greets you at the gate and they're actually happy to see you. Maybe they give you a little bit of a knicker, their ears are forward and they're like, oh, hey, here's my human. I can't wait to see what we get up to today. You can take your horse anywhere and they don't pull, push or call out to their friends. They're focused on you and you can communicate clearly with each other in various situations. You can read your horse's body language and your horse understands you. You're connected on a deeper level. Your horse is confident and totally relaxed with you, the environment, their equipment, and the tasks that you do together. Your horse trusts you because you allow them to express their feelings and help them confidently in difficult situations. You can easily ask your horse to do things and they understand the, and you understand the what, why, and how it's working. Your horse happily accepts their tack and stands still and calm to be mounted.
You can ride your horse calmly on a loose rein, knowing that they aren't wanting to run away or wanting to stop. You feel harmony, trust, connection, and willingness with your horse. You can go to a competition or an outing or riding club and not have to worry about your horse being overly stressed or unfocused. You feel congruent and at peace with your horsemanship journey, equipped with the knowledge to solve future problems. And you are finally enjoying your horse in the way that you've always wanted and your horse is enjoying their time with you also. Well, this is my dream for every horse and rider. And I know that it's possible because I've achieved it myself with my own horses and have helped many students achieve it themselves through my online Horsemanship Fundamentals Academy, HFA. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows because of course you're going to have difficulties and breakthroughs along the way, but it's how you approach these things that make all the difference. And remember, when problems arise, it's usually because one or more of the fundamentals is lacking. If you listen to this podcast and all the incredible trainers that I interview and the things that we talk about sit right with you, but if you're honest with yourself, it's not really your reality right now with your horse, then let me teach you the fundamentals and let's change that for the better. Just head to AmaliaDempsey.com and click on Academy to find out more and sign up to HFA. And remember, if you're listening to this in February or March of 2023, right now is the perfect time to join because I'm just about to do those four live bonus group coaching calls, which are not normally a part of the program. And I'm not sure if if or when I'll do these calls again. So don't miss this opportunity if you're thinking about joining HFA. I'm doing these calls so that I can help you troubleshoot and problem solve all the questions you have along the way. They will be recorded in case you can't show up live, but I also love connecting with you all live to hear about you and your individual horses and ultimately help you transform your connection, confidence and communication with your horse. So head to AmaliaDempsey.com and click on Academy to find out everything you need to know and make sure you sign up before March 22nd if you want to be included in the live group coaching calls with me. It's going to be so much fun to connect with you all. I'm super excited and I hope to see you in the Academy. Thanks for listening to today's show and I'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website AmaliaDempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode. 